Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we're back. Welcome to another episode with Brendan Kumarasamy from Master Talk. It's been a little while, man. How you been? I've been amazing, man. What about you, my friend? <laughs> I love it. You're always so positive. You put me in a good mood. I am excited to talk about the topic that we have today, which is the common traits of world changers, people who have done something so significant that the world is different as a result of them existing. And so I know you have studied a lot of world changers and you have some ideas already. And I'm curious, like when you hear this topic, when, when I first made the suggestion of this topic, what was the immediate thing that popped in your brain? Walk me through that process. Like you, you see a title Say, so, oh, that's cool. Like, what do you start thinking about? I start thinking about the tape recorders in my head. So I, I think we talked about this analogy a while back, but let me bring it back for those who are new to it. Every time I listen to a podcast of an individual, you, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, like just those individual people, since podcasts allow us to summarize a person's life in the span of an hour or two, max, like I listen to Logic, the rapper, Priyanka Chopra, and a bunch of other people in just the spend of the last week. And you can learn their entire life in pretty much 90 minutes that I have a tape record of all of those individuals in my head. So whenever an idea comes up, one of those tape recorders starts playing. That's an analogy that you can start thinking about. So the first thing that came to mind when you sent me the title is focus. Right? So there's a story behind how Bill Gates and Warren Buffett were in a room with a couple of other very successful people. And this is before they knew each other. So this was like the 19... 90s around. And they were all asked to do an exercise. And the exercise was 
write down on a piece of paper one word that describes your entire level of success. And what's super fascinating is that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates had the exact same word but never spoken to each other before. And the word was focus. What world changers do exceptionally well is that they are extremely good. They are world-class at one thing. With Warren Buffett, to give you a quick story about him, in his 10s, he was so obsessed with numbers that he used to memorize license plates on the road when he was 12 years old. So he'd literally watch cars go around and just look at their license plates. Ray Dalio was the same thing. He was a jockey. And then used his first money to buy into the stock market when he was 12 or 13. His first stock tripled. He fell in love with the game. Same thing with Bill Gates. Fell in love with programming. Got access to one of the first supercomputers in the world because his parents were really wealthy. Fell in love with computers and programming. Grew into an obsession. Became Microsoft. So what all the best in the world have, Michael Jordan, whatever you want to put, almost all of them. There's obviously exceptions like Elon Musk, who's just Elon Musk and we can't be Elon. But for most of us... By being world-class at one thing, that is the best way to serve the world. And that is also the best way to be a world changer. And we've talked about this before. And I think it's such an important reminder to be almost myopically focused on one thing. Why do people struggle with this so much? What is it that prevents human beings from focusing? I think especially people who are ambitious driver types that want to accomplish a lot. I know I'm guilty of it where we want to do everything. And it's very difficult for us to resist the urge to try a lot of different things. And so what do you think is the primary reason why people struggle with this? Oh, definitely a lot of them. I would say the biggest thing is this idea that human beings are mimetic creatures. So René Girard, who's a French philosopher that Peter Thiel admires quite a bit, and I do as well, he calls this mimetic theory. And what mimetic theory dictates is that human beings love to copy each other, Billy. They love to copy each other. So you see somebody like Kobe Bryant, very successful basketball player, superstar NBA. He's all these champions. He's got millions of dollars in the bank, all these sponsorship. So as somebody who's watching this, part of you goes, oh, I want that too. Maybe I should be a basketball player too. And, And maybe in your case, actually, this is actually a better analogy for you. You're a huge baseball fan. So you look at all of these incredible baseball players, and part of you goes, I could be a professional baseball player too. I could do this. And then you wake up, you do something else, and then your friend or one buddy calls you and says, hey, I just made a million dollars off this crypto thing. And then another day, you wake up, and somebody's starting this new technology that just got sold at a billion dollars. That is why human beings lack focus. Because we, our desire to copy other people's success is so strong that it blinds us from understanding what is right for us. And that is, I think, the main reason why most of us have trouble focusing. Because when we pick something that we know we're good at, we know we can win at, what happens is that that desire to focus on that one thing, suddenly, as new distractions start entering the game start entering our vision like NFTs and cryptocurrency and pharmaceutical COVID test industry. Well, what happens is we get jealous in many ways or envious of other people's success. We start to go, oh, well, no, I need to go here because that's where all the money is being made. And by the time you get there, all the money's gone or you're not good enough to win in that industry. Envy really does have a 
significant role, I think. I think that's a good word to use because when you are envious and almost jealous of what other people are doing or you you see something that's happening, it's a shiny new object. You mentioned a bunch, NFTs and crypto and any number of other things that could draw your attention away from what you're doing. So how do you then make the distinction between the shiny object and having the ability to stay the course on what you're doing? Because you want to be able to pivot when pivoting is going to help you and be advantageous, but you also want to stick to what you're doing as long as you can. Because I mean, let's face it, most people who stick to something for long enough, they're the ones that reach success. So when do you actually decide that maybe you actually should pivot? Mm, That's an excellent nuanced question. I would say my opinion on this, Billy, is if the shiny object is related to your area of focus, so let's say you're making YouTube videos on public speaking, but there's a new social media, there's a new shiny object, but it's related to the focus. That's a shiny object you want to pay attention to. The versus a shiny object that is completely unrelated to the industry that is not advancing your specific goals. That's one way of thinking about shiny objects is selecting the right ones. The other piece is having a long enough time horizon and having the level of self-awareness to figure out if you can actually win the game. And then the third piece is obviously visualizing the rewards of winning that game. So I'll give you an example. When I started my career at IBM, this is actually a lot easier to do when you have clearly defined paths. So let's say you start working, I don't know, you're making 75, 80K a year. I know if I stay in this consulting division IBM for X number of years based on every other model I've seen who are much older than me, I will make 300K plus equity with these bonuses and these benefits if I hit these milestones and if I go in the company for that long. Right? So super simple. Not as easy to do with our goals and our dreams. This requires an incredible amount of self-awareness that is a constant life journey. But I'll give you a couple of hints that have helped me. For me, true self-awareness simply means a clear understanding of one's strengths, both at the world-class level and at the above average and average level, but also a clear understanding of what you absolutely suck at. Right? What are you absolutely horrendous at that you need to be self-aware on so you can make better decisions on whether or not you can actually win that game? And since many of us don't focus on that long-term vision, it's a lot harder for us to figure out if the area of focus is the one that will actually make us successful. And an easy trick that I have for people, I did this in the context of careers, but I think it applies in passions as well. I call this the process of elimination. So I'll give you a quick story. Let's say somebody comes up to us and says, hey, Brendan, Billy, I don't really know what I want to do in life. I don't know what career to pick. What I did when I was 12 years old, oddly enough, is I took a bunch of careers and I started with, right, pay attention to this one. I started with the stuff I didn't want to do. So, for example, let's say I asked you, Billy, do you have any interest in being a pastor? (laughs) Uh, Sorry for laughing, but no. No, no, it's okay. Nothing, no, no, there's no judgment. Plumber? No. All right. So there's nothing wrong with these careers at all. We need plumbers. We need pastors for those who are religious. These are important roles in our society. The reason I bring them up is that it's much easier to say no to things than it is to say yes to things that are obvious no's. Whereas somebody else is listening, being a plumber might actually be the route route. Why would you waste 120, 150K on an education in the US when you can make way more than six figures as a starting salary as a plumber? I would have done that if I was good with my hands, but I'm not. I'm a scrawny little kid. Like, what am I supposed to do? I can't be a plumber. And that's the key. 
right, is understanding that self-awareness and that self-awareness helps you dictate which games you can win and which games you can't. But here's the punchline. You only can pick one game. Because if you try and pick three games or two games, the probability, life is a game of odds, your probability of winning starts shrinking dramatically. So you mentioned two very specific things in there that I had on my list of traits of world changers. One was vision that I had on my list and another was self-awareness. Let's talk a little bit about those while we're still on the, the subject because I think they're so important. You not only talked about vision, but you talked about visualizing which they're synonymous in some ways, but also they're, you know, can expand upon one from the other. When you think about having a vision and visualizing, it's a lot easier to visualize when you actually know the path that you want to go down. And the more you ingrain this in your mind, the more you think through it, the more it becomes real, the more you can see it play out in your mind. And I've been doing a lot of visualization lately. I've been doing a lot of really seeing things happen before they happen. And it's really interesting because it's the more you play these out in your mind, the more you start to have this, the same vision repeat itself. And it, it creates a neuro pathway because you're doing it over and over again. You're convincing and telling your mind that this is going to happen because you're doing it on repeat. And the more you do it, the more ingrained it becomes, the more real it becomes, the more specific you can be, the more you can see every little piece of your vision play out and you see it in your mind first before it happens in reality, in real life. The other piece, the self-awareness piece, oh man, I, we could talk about, this could be a whole session just on self-awareness because if you're self-aware enough, you are able to understand, is this a good fit for you, for what you like, for what you're good at, for what you're gonna do over the long term? Because if you're not gonna have a sustainable interest in something, you shouldn't even do it because why start something that you're not gonna be able to do for a long period of time? The better you know yourself, the more you're able to do that. So before we move on to another topic, let's explore those two. As you hear vision and think about that and self-awareness, what are the other things that we should be thinking about? Or who are some examples of people who really illustrate the power of having a vision or the power of self-awareness? Absolutely. And one thing to also add before we jump into those two very important topics is I really want us to nail why being world-class is absolutely essential if you want your legacy to be remembered, if you want to make a big impact in the world, because I don't think it's talked enough enough. Seth Godin explains this so well. He says, our culture is skewed in the favor of first place. So first place gets all the chips and second and third place barely get remembered and everyone else falls through the cracks. That's how our culture is designed. That's how it works. I'll give you the best example. Let's say I asked you, Billy, who's the fastest man in the world? Who would you say? Usain Bolt. Correct. Right? So Usain Bolt won many gold trophies, namely the 2016 Games in Rio when he was the world's fastest man absolute one. So here's a question for you, Billy. Who got second place at the 2016 Rio Olympic Games? This is so funny. I'm not kidding you. I literally saw a presentation today where somebody brought up this same exact fact. I swear. This is my analogy, I use with clients. I'm not kidding. I know, right? And that's what's amazing. But it's so true. I mean, very few people know who got second place. That's the reality. They know who got first place. Right. And second place, you know, for those who are wondering, is a guy named Justin Gatelin. And third place is Andre Degrassi, who did win the gold this time. So now he's going to be remembered. But the point I want to drive 
is nobody remembers second or third place. Everyone always remembers first place. If you want all the winnings, you got to be first in what you do. You got to be absolutely world class. But that also makes sense if you think about it. Because if your desire is to truly be a world changer, to truly impact the world, that means by default, obsessing over one singular thing will allow you to spend all your time on that thing, kind of like how Stephen King spends all his time writing. And you're able, or Isaac Asimov in science fiction work with his writing, that you're able to develop thought leadership in a work of art, a work of being something that no other human being can possibly create because they're not willing to allocate the number of hours that you have. I mean, I'm another example of this at a smaller scale where I'm fairly young, but I have clocked in tens of thousands of hours studying public speaking and the nuances around it. So I'm able to serve people at a level in that niche that is beneficial to people versus giving life coaching advice. Yeah, sure, I could be a good life coach, but no one's being Tony Robbins because he spent his whole life, 16 hours a day, probably 18 hours a day, his whole life, really nailing that area of focus. Goes back to the other episode that we did, which is how do you put yourself into a category of one, right? And I think when you do set yourself apart, when you give yourself a competitive moat, around who you are, what you represent, and what it is that you're known for, right? We're all known for something. What is the one word somebody would use to describe you? And think about that. What is the one word you want somebody to use to describe you? What word do they think of? I know for Brendan, the word is public speaking. It's communication. That is what people think about when they think of Brendan. And it's because you have built a brand authority around what it is that you're passionate about and what it is that you make an impact on other people's lives. Okay, so understanding yourself is important. Having the vision is important. What haven't we explored yet, either in those areas or we can move on to a new topic if you want to? No, let's go ahead and dive into that now. I just didn't want to monologue, that's why. So, so going into vision now. So the one thing I want, to, I want to drive for people is the following. What you said on vision is 100% accurate, right? The more detail, the specificity you have, the better the outcome. But the other piece I I would love to propose as well is don't be afraid to start and make a decision without this being perfect. Like Master Talk literally started my mom's couch literally right there as we're having this interview. Like I didn't overthink the vision. And now the vision today, a few years later, now it's super crystal clear. I know what I'm doing on February 3rd, 2031 while I'm sipping a mocha. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that, it's not that specific. But you, you get the idea, right? I have, I have a much clearer idea where I want to be. But where I think the ball is missed is most of us don't try and paint a picture, not the best picture, not the most detailed picture, but a picture, period, on what we want that vision to be and start chipping away at it. It's kind of like a puzzle right? There's like thousand pieces. And most of us kind of just do the corner pieces and just leave it there. Whereas the people who really want to get this done right, they really just sit there for hours and they just try, crap, these pieces aren't, but they keep working on it until the masterpiece is still a work in progress. And that's the key. Until the masterpiece is still a work in progress. Even today, my vision is still a work in progress and it'll always be. But the picture the pieces in my jigsaw puzzle, 80% of them are filled out, 70% of them are filled out. And I'd love for everyone to get to that level. So now the question is, what do you do about the vision? And honestly, for me, what works best, Billy, is pick a game where the rewards are big enough that align with your skills 
so that you have more time to think. I'll give you an example with me. When I looked at my career options, it was very obvious that being an accountant was the best move because I was an absolute whiz at mathematics. I was scoring 90s in every single report card, and I was complete garbage at every other subject in school. So it was obvious that I wanted to be an accountant. I didn't need to be the best accountant in the world. Even if I was a top 10% accountant in the world, I would still make multiple six figures and be able to escape poverty. Same thing with management consulting. When I got to business school, I saw a lot of my buddies going to Wall Street and Bay Street. That's the Canadian version of Wall Street. And I knew I couldn't compete with those kids because they were absolute workaholics. They're working 110 hours a week. They knew their Excel spreadsheets like the back of their their arms. And I knew I couldn't beat them in an interview. And I also didn't want a job in investment banking because I understood the culture and the cost of playing that game. But I knew that getting a job at management consulting, like at a McKinsey or an IBM or a Bain, was perfect for me because I had the soft skills. I could schmooze people and I'm great with clients. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't need to be the best management consultant, but just being top five or 10% would also secure me a multiple six figure income. But for somebody else who's listening, like Russ, who loves physical work, for him, the answer might not be what I just said. It'll be being a plumber. But I think the first key around vision is making the right career decision if that works for you. And most statistically, that is the right move for most. And then have enough income, keep your expenses low so you have that gap to think. This is really interesting to me. So you said something in there that I I keep thinking about, which is give yourself the opportunity to think. I want to underscore, highlight, and bolden that because it's so so important. I think we walk through life allowing our subconscious to make virtually every decision that we make. We go through life eating subconsciously or unconsciously. We go through life making decisions, big life decisions without giving it any thought. And we go through life not giving ourselves an ability to start to think about what do we believe in? What do we stand for? What is our fundamental core beliefs or values? Businesses spend a lot of time coming up with core values and a mission statement, and usually it's done wrong, but the idea is great, right? The idea is great, but the problem is when you get sometimes too many people doing groupthink and it just becomes a bunch of words on paper that don't hold any weight. But if you give yourself the opportunity to think through What's most important for you? Think about giving yourself some guiding principles of life that will help to steer you in the direction that you want to go. I know for you, Brendan, you may be young in years, but you're very, very mature in thought. You're very mature in the ability to give yourself a platform to stand on because you have strong beliefs. You're always looking for new ideas and you're always developing and changing and making sure that you're open to new philosophies and new thoughts, but you also recognize that you have some core beliefs that they're very solid. They're on strong foundation, right? If you're going to build a house, build it on a strong foundation. So curious your thoughts on that. Curious your thoughts on giving yourself this time to think and what we could be doing with that time. I mean, this is why meditation, this is why going on walks, this is why giving yourself an opportunity to not be constantly solving problems, right? Because what happens is your prefrontal cortex is always overworked. It's always given so many tasks. It's the CEO of your brain. It's constantly making decisions. And so it's overworked and you don't have a time to have insights. You don't give it the time 
and space it needs to start really doing what it's capable of doing, which is coming up with remarkable ideas, creating amazing philosophies that you can live your life by. So curious your thoughts. Absolutely. Lots of great points that you mentioned here, Billy. To make confession. Make some dessert. Make some dessert, please. The point I want to drive to everyone is I looked back kind of at the last five years, reflecting on this the other day, going back to thinking. And I was like, where was I at my peak state? Like where I was the most productive that I ever was in my life. And the answer was in university. And I started breaking that day down. Now that I'm an entrepreneur, now that I'm full-time on this, which I didn't do in the last three months because I just wanted to work all the time and go, okay, you network, do sales, network, do sales, get on a podcast. But I wasn't like putting my strategic cap on. So I started doing that in the last few weeks and I realized really quickly that the difference maker between my early 20s and my mid 20s was I invested 10 hours a week in podcasting and I stopped doing that for a couple of months. But then as you were asking me a lot of questions, because you started going really deep into my thought leadership, I realized at some point the can was starting to get empty and I felt like- You haven't repeated yourself at all. Come on, man. I was just like, geez, like I need to, I need to step this up. So I was just looking at my life in the last three months. What are kind of the, I do these kind of like ongoing and I realized the biggest mistake I made was giving up Lewis's podcast. So what I did ever since like last week is now the first two hours of my day, I'm not allowed to take any meetings. I have to just listen to an episode and just reflect. And man, do I feel so much more productive, so much more better. Now I'm, I'm doing 14 hours of podcasts a week and I'm back to my thinking mode. I'm back to getting those new ideas and I got a bunch of fresh ones already out of the oven, which is good. So yes, to your point, Billy, to make a long story short, Thinking is an essential part of what you do, but I also want to be empathetic to those of you who don't have the income to do that right now because I was there five years ago. So here's my compromise with all of you who are in that economic situation. Create income, but don't buy expensive things with that income. Buy your time back to think. In the same way we reserve a breakfast to eat, in the same way we reserve time for lunch, the same way we reserve time for dinner, We need to start reserving time to think. And what most people do is when we make money, we spend it on expensive things. We spend it on things we don't need when we should be spending it on freeing 30 minutes of our life to think. And that's the main reason I went into entrepreneurship to give all my time back. And I wasn't using it effectively until last week. And you talk about something that you've done, which is listen to podcasts. What are some other ideas or other ways when somebody is able to buy back their time, and I'm glad that you thought about the person who maybe is grinding, working hard, not finding the time, doesn't have the income. And what you're suggesting is instead of paying for a fancy new material item to actually use that to buy some time to think, which I think is brilliant advice. Aside from listening to a podcast or doing other things related to a podcast, what are some other ways or suggestions that you would give somebody to put themselves in the zone to start to think more. Excellent. So here's a good analogy to help people think about this is every human being is different and what's going to work for every human being is different. So it's kind of like a a nail with the screwdriver, right? Sometimes the screwdriver that you have doesn't fit the nail that you're actually supposed to put it in. But the key to being a productive human being is to understand each of the nails so that you know which one works for you. So I'll give an example for me. Meditation just doesn't work for me, guys. Like it's not guys and gals. It's not for me. I'm not going to sit there in silence for 20 minutes. Nothing happens. I'm just like, this is not good for me. Whereas Ray Dalio, 
multi-billion. I should probably listen to the guy. He goes, I meditate 20 minutes a day, changed my life. Okay, fair enough, Ray. Not something I would do. Lewis's voice is very meditative. So I get into that meditative state, I listen to it. I just sit on the couch. I don't do anything else. I just walk and I just listen. For other people, it's a walk. For other people, it's meditation. For other people, it's conversations like this, where you're just kind of going back and forth and you're you're forcing yourself to ask questions with a coach maybe, or with a Billy or with like a friend. I'm kind of just thinking of other ways that I do this too. Those are the big ones. Or maybe it's to walk towards a specific spot, like a lake near your house or a, a park, and maybe that's the right place. But I think the key is to test every screw, essentially. Try meditation. Try a podcast. Try everything and figure out what works for you. I've tested so many different morning routines except the cold shower. I'm not going to do that. All the cold shower and meditation people are like, they're going to start commenting. Yeah, they're going to start hating on me. But the best routine is very simple. For me, waking up at 7.45, do it, starting my podcast at, from 8 to 10 while drinking my black tea and re- working out every evening or every two days, every two or three days in the evening at a high intense level works really well for me. But for you who might be listening, it might not work for you. Because I tried working out in the morning. Boy, did I hate it. Because I was tired the whole day. I couldn't show up for my clients. I wasn't able to think. And I was just irritated during the day. Whereas now that I do it at the end, I love it. It's really interesting. I mean, I think it's true. It's right. Everybody's personal. Some people will get energized by working out. So they do it in the beginning of the day. I'm more like you where I, I prefer to work out at the end of the day because I don't want to deplete my energy early on. And I, I kind of feel like you that it, that's what it does. And I do think you got to test. You got to figure out what works best for you. Give yourself the opportunity to try a bunch of different things. Be a scientist, experiment, pay attention. Really, really pay attention. Figure out what is working for you. And as you figure out what's working for you, double down on that. Triple down on it. Keep doing it. Not to the point of being excessive or being over overdoing it, right? Because that could easily turn into something that you end up resenting or not liking. So be mindful of over overdoing it, but do it enough to where you build that habit. Okay, so I'm going to list a bunch of words and I want to see which one sings to you. We could go down any one of these. Uh, these are some words that I wrote down. I did a bit of research as we were exploring this topic and there's a lot of great ideas. One area that I want to get into in a minute is self-efficacy which is this idea that you believe enough in the reality that you can do it, that you will do it. So put that aside for now, but I do want to get into self-efficacy for sure. But some other ideas are are these ideas, purpose, conviction, courage, embracing feedback or embracing critique. We talked about vision. Uh, The last one I'll say is action-oriented. So which of those do you want to go down right now? Those are some spicy ones. This is a good restaurant menu you gave me here, Billy. I like self-efficacy a lot, but I'm going to spin it in a different way. So for me, the way I interpret self-efficacy is, actually, could you redefine that one for me? And then I'll spin it. Yeah, it's the belief that you can accomplish what you set off to do. The spin I would add to that is this something Gary Tan said extremely well. He's the co-founder of Initialized Capital. He's one of the first investors in Coinbase, very successful guy. He says the best founders in the world are pessimistic short-term and optimistic long-term. So what does that mean? So going back to conviction, the idea that you know what you want to do and achieve, what the founders, the best people do is short-term, they go, all of these things can go wrong, and I need to make sure that I'm always assessing my risks to make sure we don't go under. But they're also optimistic long-term. So they go, 
you know what? If I keep doing all these micro things for 10, 15 years, this company, this organization, this movement will turn into this. So that's a piece that we want to understand. So even if you have the mission, even if you have the purpose, even if you have the vision, if you're not analyzing worst case scenarios, the chances, the probability of you being successful is going to go down the drain. I'll give you a super easy example to demonstrate that. And I have a personal story on that as well. Netflix's founder, Reed Hastings, knew when his success, when he had a very successful DVD business, he was kicking blockbusters, you know what, right? He was very successful. But he also realized that, wait a second, we need to pivot this business to online streaming. Because if we don't, someone else is going to create the solution to this and beat us to the ultimate game of entertainment, which is streaming unlimited amounts of movies without the need of DVDs at all, as broadband internet speeds are increasing. So Reed is optimistic about the long term, and he's pessimistic about the short term. What does that mean? So pessimism means, in this case, crap, i got to fire all these executives. Crap, i got to deal with all this. Oh my God, this is going to happen. My investors are going to think this. This is my stock market. Stock's going to plummet, all this stuff. But I'm optimistic about the 10-year outcome. Hey, if I just do this and we play all these things right, we invest in original content, we do this correctly, and then they picked up House of Cards and the rest went on, we're going to be successful. Jeff Bezos, same thing. When he started Amazon Prime, hey guys, we're going to give uh, Billy and everyone else in America unlimited two-day shipping for, and everyone's like, is this like $800? This $500? For $79. Oh boy, did investors love Jeff. And obviously I'm being super sarcastic here. They hated Jeff. Jeff, what in the world are you thinking? You're going to lose so much money. And Jeff said, well, if they have Amazon Prime, they're just going to keep shopping at Amazon. They won't go anywhere else. And Jeff ended up being 100% correct. So pessimistic in the short term, crap, I've got to deal with all these investors, I've got to deal with people who disagree with the vision, optimistic long term. And that's the game. And that really ties back to conviction too. If you have this conviction and this belief, what you're doing is the right approach. You're more likely to follow through with it and not be swayed by the pessimism and all the potential roadblocks that come into your way. And I think any business owner has dealt with all sorts of setbacks, all sorts of things that could take them off of course. But the ones that have the strongest, deepest conviction are going to be the ones that get to the finish line because they believe so passionately they have in their mind what is, and this goes back to the vision, what they visualize is going to happen. It's not a maybe or I hope, it's it will. And so that then guides the decisions they make. And it also prevents them from falling off the tracks, right? Okay, so let's go back to this list here again. I'm going to read it again. So courage. We talked a little bit about conviction, so we'll put that one aside. Purpose, having purpose. We talked about self-efficacy a little bit. We haven't talked about being action-oriented. Where, which one of those do you want to explore now? There's one word that I want to throw in there that I think is a combination of many of the themes you brought up, like purpose and especially courage, is this idea of prioritization. So what I mean prioritization, I mean specifically prioritizing what you want out of life. You know, I think Vinod Costless says this best. Being a world changer isn't for everybody. Isn't for every single human being in the world. We all want different things. I'll tell you a quick story on this. 
So Dara Koshrashani, who's the CEO of Uber, okay, he used to be the CEO of Expedia.com. He had an issue at Stanford a few years ago. And the story was around how he had ended up interviewing for the position at Uber after Travis got kicked out of the company. And the story went something like this. Dara was at this the CEO kind of summit where all the CEOs, I think it was the Allen and Companies conference. It's like a, basically a conference where all the big CEOs come up. And he was talking to Daniel Ek, the founder and CEO of Spotify. So Daniel's sitting down with Dara. And it's very subtle, but, but you'll get what I mean after I, I add more layer to it. And Daniel comes up to him and he goes, hey, Dara, I heard they're looking for a new CEO. I think you'd be great at Uber. You know, I think it'd be a great position. And Dara was saying in the interview, and what he told Daniel was, I don't need to go to Uber. I'm really happy here, Daniel. You know, Expedia has been great to me. I'm doing exceptionally well as a CEO. I love my team. I love the culture here. I'm really happy. And this part shocked me. Daniel Ek looked at him in his icy, cold, Swedish eyes and said, this is his words, Dara's words, not mine. I'm quoting him. And Daniel X said, Dara, since when is life about being happy? You should totally take the job at Uber. So that's very subtle. Not many people catch this, but allow me to add more clarification to this. When we look at Daniel X's life, this is what happened to him. He became a multimillionaire before the age of 22. He sold a bunch of websites in the early dot-com boom, made a bunch of money, and he was depressed. He hated his life. Okay. And then after he made all that money, he had the idea for Spotify because he wanted to do something important with his life. So he took all his money, threw it in, and started an insane quest to get all of these music labels who hated technology to collaborate with them and create a solution that would actually create a salvage, salvation for the music business. That's insane. Why would somebody who's a multimillionaire do that? Because the only thing Daniel Ek cared about was doing something important with his life. And I thought that was a fascinating trend because he prioritized that over any other thing. That's actually what brings him happiness. We see that thread a lot in many other founders where people like Gary Vaynerchuk, right, a common guy, he always tells he tells it a bit differently. He says, it's all about the game. It's all about the game. It's all about the game. Everyone's different. So the, my translation of all of this, so people can get all, all get on the same page, is what world changers have in common is this is the only thing that brings them a vast majority of their happiness and fulfillment. Whereas most of us would be very content if we were making half a million dollars a year working 20 hours a week. I mean, who wouldn't be? I sure would. But what a small fraction of the human population, they go, even if you gave me $5 million a year, I still want to work on this business. I still want to do this thing because there's nothing else that I value besides maybe my friends and my family and some other side passions. But most of these people don't really have passions based on the people I've studied. Their passion is the business. So I think that's another point is, is the idea of prioritization. Are you prioritizing what you actually want to do in your life? And if that thing isn't making a difference in the world in a top priority, you probably won't end up changing the world in a big way like these people have. Well, I think the very natural person to think about when it comes to prioritization is Elon Musk. And the reason why I bring up him is the thinking that he goes through as he decides to start SpaceX and Tesla. I mean, he didn't start Tesla, but he obviously is the reason Tesla is what it is. It's two things. It's to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Why? 
because the biggest problem in his eyes facing us, the existential threat that we face is climate change. And therefore, one of the most important ways to combat that is to find alternative ways to power our lives, whether that be through solar, whether that be through vehicles, electric vehicles, things of that nature. So what if that fails? So the other priority he has is to become an interplanetary species. And so he's working hard to make that happen with SpaceX. So this is taking your ideology of prioritization and really placing it in the, the lens of what's most important for humanity. I mean, that's where he's looking. He's like, what is the most important problem we're solving? Another person who comes to mind is your buddy. And I say buddy because you love this guy. You love what he stands for. And you know, who am I going to say? Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison, right? Scott Harrison, what is the biggest problem we need to solve? Right? And he's, he's going to something that's literally life and death, which is water. Solving the water crisis, which for those who don't know, there are still millions and millions and millions of people who don't have access to clean water, which is amazing, right? In 2021, the fact that there's still people who don't have access to clean water, it's appalling, frankly. And so, of course, that's what he focused on. I think the list goes on and on and on for people who prioritize based on what does the world need, right? Because if you're a world changer, right, if you're going to change the world, if you're going to make an impact on the world, what does the world need? And I'll say this last piece, and I really, really love this. And I want to make sure, I think it was John Lee Dumas said, or maybe it was Pat Flynn. Sometimes I can't remember which one said it, but what is your customer's most important problem that they need to have solved, right? What do they need solved? And so I think from a world changer perspective, what does the world need solved? What is the biggest problem that the world needs to have solved? You figure that out and then you figure out what will help you do that through visualization, through finding the right people, through having the conviction, through having the focus, all the things that we've talked about in this session. So curious your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And, and the buildup to what you said, a couple of things. Number one is look at the list of problems, but ask yourself a different question, which is, what are you uniquely positioned to solve? Brendan ain't going to fly rocket ships into the sky. That's not what Brendan does. <laughs> Brendan's scared to drive a car. He's not going to take a rocket ship and, and go to the sky. Okay. He's like, Uber, please. Right. It's like, no. But when it came to the public speaking thing, it made a lot more sense for me to focus on that. So the key is like, and you won't figure this out right away. That's another part that I feel is worth emphasizing. I'll give another great example. Mark Benioff, for those who don't know, is the CEO and founder of a small company called Salesforce, right? One of the most successful CRM companies in the world, multi-billionaire company valuation of in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Mark didn't start by saying, I want to start a company. Basically, what happened with him, he worked at Oracle. He was an all-star executive there, did incredibly well, but he didn't like his life. He really did it. And the story goes, he went to a bunch of Tony Robbins seminars. And after like the fourth seminar or something, I forgot what the number was, he was sitting in the front row and Tony asked him, you know, you always keep sitting in the front row. What are you trying to get from this workshop? Like, what are you trying to get from this session? And Mark looked at him and he's like, I want to start a company called Salesforce, but I don't know if I can do it. And Tony just looked at him and he said, well, if you've been attending all this, why don't you just try? I mean, you're not going to lose anything. And then at some point, Mark just said, you know what, I'm going to start this company and figure it out. And obviously it became a big success. But the point I want to drive is Mark didn't figure out right away that, hey, this is the vision. This is what I want to do. Same thing with Scott. He only started charity when he was 34, right? 
we all got our different angles or our life path but the key is like are you prioritizing it do you care about this another point i want to drive which is a small nuance no one talks about either is even elon musk was a master of prioritization he talks a lot about this in his interviews where because he focused on two companies the probability of both especially during the 0809 crisis where tesla and spacex almost went bankrupt i think they were like two months away from bankruptcy i forgot the exact number and he said that the chances of both of them making it were like almost nil but we have to go back and this is where brendan's educational guessing hat comes on so i want to be mindful of that why did elon bet on two spoons why did he bet on two horses rather instead of focusing all the attention on one not because elon lacks focus because he already started zip2 sold it to compact he started paypal with peter teal sold it to ebay did really well so why did he choose two companies instead of one i'll tell you what my version is the reason is because both problems are so important, he knew no one was going to try and solve either of them. So even if he got one and not the other, he would have died with regret in his deathbed for not having tried the other because no one else is going to attempt the other. That's why I believe he went after both at the same time. But Elon Musk is Elon. Okay, let's not do what Elon does. I think just doing one of either or would have made you a famous or successful or a world changer. So. I'll leave it at the, you know, and then he starts other companies where it, it may not be his main thing, like Neuralink and boring, the boring company. I mean, he's got his hands in so many different world changing companies. You can't ignore the power of thinking big and, and what he's able to do to truly change the world. I mean, it's like he epitomizes what it means to be a world changer. He takes it to a whole nother level. So what haven't we explored yet? You know, we haven't talked much about risk taking. We didn't talk too much about courage yet. What's another word or another theme? What's a common trait? And then we'll wrap up with that one. What's one final one? Unless there's there's a couple that you want to talk about. I want to, uh, you know me, I don't like leaving any juice in the orange. So what haven't we yet explored so we could tie a bow on this? And that's the magic, Billy, of what you just said there, I think is super key is there's always more oranges that I don't think about. And I think that's the beauty. Let's shake the trees. Right, it's an ever-evolving process. I'm gonna sit down after this and be like, "Crap, how could I have done better on with Billy?" Oh, I forgot about this. I gotta mention this. I gotta mention this. I would say the last piece that comes to mind right now is the, I would say the number one piece of feedback I have for people, including me. I need to do this more. Is we need to stop admiring change makers. We need to stop putting world changers on a pedestal, because when we start to do that. We put ourselves off the pedestal, okay? It's fine to look at them and say, hey, they did good work, but you don't want to look at somebody like Elon Musk like a god. You want to understand his psychology, right? And I have a trick that we're going to go through a quick exercise on how to do that. But the other piece is I'll say something that is not necessarily true, but just the fact that I'm thinking about it helps you kind of wrap your head around thinking about the psychology. I think if I was Elon right now, my biggest worry in the world is or the the biggest wish that I would have is immortality, because I'm sure if Elon w- had another hundred years under his belt to live, he would have solved all the other seven things, and he would have just done one at a time. That's my personal guess. But he realized his time is finite, so he needed to optimize it and give the ideas away and hope that somebody else works on those problems. But why am I telling you this? I'm not saying that's necessarily true. It's just kind of the way that I think because I always like analyzing these people. What is the information they're not telling us? But the other piece that I have is I want all of you who are still listening to this to write down a celebrity, a public figure you deeply admire. 
someone that you really, really admire. And then once you have that person down, it could be a celebrity, a thought leader, ideally someone who's a public figure, somebody you have a lot of information on, like a Jay Balvin, like a singer, it doesn't matter, Justin Bieber, pick anybody. And then once you have that person's name, ask yourself one question. If they were your friend, if they were your colleague, what advice would you give them? What feedback would you give them? As if you give feedback to a friend. And what this does is it starts to rewire your brain from taking your admirers and turning them into colleagues. Takes your admirers and turning them into colleagues. And I actually got this subconsciously when I was speaking to Billy, because Billy always asked me what piece of advice I have for people like Gary Vee and Lewis. And I turned that into an exercise for clients, and I encourage all of you to implement the same. Because what it does, it helps you think in a way that everyone else isn't. Because everyone's screaming in the room, like for Tony Robbins. Oh my God, Tony Robbins is amazing. Whereas when I was sitting there and I watched him live, I said, what does it take to be Tony? What are some of the flaws in Tony's game so that I could really become him someday? I'm not saying this is the right way, but I'm saying it's a way that will help you level yourself up, bring your head up, put your chin up and say, I could be a world changer too. And this is how we're going to do it. Great, great way to end on what it takes to be a world changer. And Brendan, you are somebody that is on the path to truly change the world. You're already doing it. If you haven't checked out Brendan's YouTube channel, go to Master Talk on YouTube and you could check it out. Make sure you subscribe so you can see all the latest videos. Also, if you want to check out this show, Inside Out, go ahead and go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcast and hit subscribe. And then you could hear it on the regular. You could do what Brendan does and make this part of your morning routine. We're releasing new episodes every Monday and Friday. So hopefully you got some value from this. If you did, drop us a line. Let us know what you think. We always love to hear from you. We love, was it that made an impact on you? We want to know. We want to hear about it. And also, what else would you like us to talk about? Is there a person you want us to talk about? A company? Is there a topic that you think would be fun for us to explore? We always welcome you. We welcome your contributions on the platforms. If you're on YouTube, if you're on LinkedIn, if you're on Facebook, or if you're on Twitch, go ahead and let us know what you think and make a comment on any of the shows that we ever do. Until next time, make it a great one. We'll talk to you all very, very soon. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.